Hello, hello, Tamariva podcast listeners and amigis. We are still on break, but in the meantime, we invite you to revisit this previously aired episode. We'll be right back with fresh new episodes for your ears later in April. Until then, don't forget, ponte un suéter. On this episode of Tamarindo, we interview Linda Yvette Chavez, the co-creator and executive producer of Netflix hit series Hentified. We have a beautiful conversation about her journey from first-gen hija of Mexican immigrants to her show Hentified and how she's learned to fall in love with herself along the way. Season two of Hentified is out on November 10th. Check it out and enjoy the show. Welcome to Tamarindo Podcast, hosted by me, Brenda Gonzalez, a political nerd and nonprofit capacity builder. And me, Ana Sheila Victorino, a queer well-being enthusiast and mindset coach. We are a Latinx empowerment podcast discussing politics, culture, and how to keep your calma with well-being practices and self-love. Welcome to the show. Welcome back, Tamarino Amiguis. Hello, everybody. So, Ana Sheila, ¿qué pasa contigo? So, we have a, a friends visiting from L.A., our friend Edwin and Cesar. And it's really special because our friend Edwin is undocumented, is DACA. He was born here in Mexico and is finally able to come back and, and visit Mexico after 28 years. And he saw his dad after not seeing him for 10 years. So it's just been special to be a part of his return trip home. And also it just highlights how fucked up the system is that he hasn't been able to to be here in that many years or see his dad. And it's both beautiful and, and just really, you know, just fucked up <laughs> at the same time. But anyways, last night we all got to go out together to a gay club. We hadn't gone out to a gay club together in Mexico. So Super excited, pero we get to the club and right away the bouncer tells that Kim can't get into the club. What? That's and, terrible. For why? Yeah. She, and what was the justification? I don't know. That's the thing. She was wearing a dress and apparently the guy said that she looked drunk. All of us were just flabbergasted at the fact that they would not let her into this club because she didn't like there was no stumbling. There was nothing. I mean, I think we were all a little drunk, but I see normal drunk, like how people are at clubs. So it was just super, super disappointing to see that happen. And so we ended up getting in a huge argument because it just we were just so flabbergasted that this was happening. And then the manager comes down and you know me, right? I'm a pretty calm person but apparently the manager said que yo le estaba dando miedo what oh my, oh my god this like is me, crazy Anna Sheila, Anna Sheila, you're making someone afraid they're lucky i wasn't yeah. with you then there would be reasons for something i to know be i was like oh my god no this. one has ever told me that ever in my life que yo le di miedo i'm like oh my god like i just wanted to roll my eyes back to to the back of my head anyways and so they don't let us in and then the guy also calls our friend fat Wow. Basura, basura early for these people. <laughs> I know. So basically it was just like reminding me of like the misogyny. And that's what it really felt like there was a problem with Kim. And I don't know what reasonable problem there was. And then to call her friend fat. So it's just like seeing the misogyny and like fat phobia that, that there is can be in the gay community. It was just really disappointing. Well, I'm glad you're doing better. I'm, I'm glad you're here. You're not as super hungover. I know we're starting a little later than than normally planned, <laughs> but I think it's great that you were able to have a good time and to be witness to someone's return to Mexico. And what and I underscore the challenge that that is for so many people to not be able to go back to their home country and definitely an experience that I relate to, and feel very fortunate right. to have been able to go back when when I was able to go back when I was able to get papeles anyways yeah. so Ana Sheila I'm glad you're doing better and thanks for telling us that that story and how misogyny and fat phobia continues to be a huge problem speaking of fat phobia real quick I know that today we're going to talk about a wonderful person behind the scenes of creating amazing shows so we're going to talk about fall tv and 
fall movies. And recently, I just watched Dune, which, as as people of the show already know, that I'm a big Oscar Isaac fan because he's hot, and he was in this movie. But it is it does take space. It does does take place in like some other galaxy far, far away. So theoretically, there isn't any um, race or whatever, but or like the the sort of racial context that we have here in on planet Earth. But back to connecting it to fat phobia. So Dune is a remake of an 80s film. And in that 80s film, the villain is this this fat person with boils over their body and just like uh, uh, that's the villain. They're 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 a horrible person because of the evilness that they are. But they also made him made him fat. So here we are in 2021 remaking this movie where we could be creative. I am disappointed at the continuation of fat phobia and this villain continuing to be like in this fat suit and just that's one of my one of my problems with Dune. But the other problem with Dune again, this is supposed to be some planet like some galaxy far far away in this made-up world, but there's definitely some white savior tropes <laughs> where mm. the, basically the, the winner, I mean, it might be a, a allegory to Jesus Christ or what, because like the, the, the you know, the, the person that's going to save everybody, at least from what I can tell from this first episode of Dune, this first part of the series, is like this this resistant young white guy, right? <laughs> but uh, you know, it's still good to see, and we love TV. So what have you been watching, Anna Shayla? So I got to watch the first episode of the final season of Insecure. And I know it's a show that we've talked about that we both really enjoy. And yeah, um, I really enjoyed it. It's like the reunion in college and, and yeah, uh, Ray went to Stanford. I, I was thinking of you the whole time. I was like, this is what Anna Shayla must have experienced going yeah, to Stanford. <laughs> no, see, that was super, super cute. Um, obviously, great memories. Also, a lot of like now looking back things that I'm reflecting on that weren't so great. Thambian. But me and Issa Rae were actually there at the same time. So it's sort of cool to hear some of the throwback songs they had in the episode. And another classmate of mine that I know that is a writer got to actually be featured in the episode, which was really cool and um yeah the feeling of like leaving young adulthood and that pressure to have it all figured out is something that i feel like resonates in that episode and just generally with the show i feel like so i really enjoy that because i feel like that's just so relatable to folks especially in their 30s that feel like they need to have everything figured out um yeah i mean obviously like I, i'm so grateful for the show it's sad that it's the, the final season but i think it's done such a great job of just bringing relatable, like multidimensional representations of characters that I think have opened the door for, for more black and brown creators to continue to, to do that. And um, also, I just wanted to read a, a post really quick um, from Instagram that also captured something that I thought was powerful that Issa Rae says. She says, portraying a desirably dark skin lead over the years, this is something I'm only recognizing now, greatly increased my own sense of self too. My life would be completely different had we not written those characters that way. I don't think I've ever attributed this to the show and to the portrayal of this lead. I wrote myself with more confidence, and now I get to live that out and portray it too. And I just thought that was so powerful and so true. Yeah, definitely love Insecure. And I know by the time listeners are hearing this, you're already probably caught up on episode two. And if you're not, haven't heard, the, haven't watched the show before, just get catch up, right? Catch up and watch this final season because it was truly a work of art. In fact, I even wrote a whole article for Loose Collective, which we can link on the show notes on how Latinas also love Insecure. So check it out. It's a great show. And we, we're thirsty for these stories, right? We want more of these different colored people to be at the center. <laughs> you know, guess what? No, not only white people fall in love, you know, all kinds of people fall in love. All kinds of people feel, feel uh, that insecurity that comes with your 30s. So, Anyways, do you have any predictions? Yeah. Is she gonna get back? I mean, I know in the end of season, uh, in the end, in the end of the first episode of this season, we see her break up with her love interest, which of course was sad. But do you have any predictions? Do you think she'll go back to him? Is she definitely moving forward, as was foreshadowed? What do you think is gonna happen? Sorry for the spoilers, y'all. But <laughs> for anyone that didn't see it, um, I feel like she's moving on. If that feels like a good chapter to close. I, I I think that's my preference. But what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was really bummed out, but the situation is ugly, you know? Like, you're the, si, the person that you on. love just is going to have a baby with someone else? No. Adios. Goodbye. <laughs> For real. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So moving on to that. But 
what yes. what do we have today? Because speaking yeah. of like great shows that are coming back, we have Hentify that's coming back. And we uh, yes. uh, speaking of also coming back, we have a, a, a past guest joining us once more here on Tamarindo. Who do we have, Anishela? Speaking of more multidimensional, diverse representation on television, today we had the chance to interview Linda Yvette Chavez, the co-creator, co-showrunner, director, executive producer, basically everything for Hentified. And also exciting, her adaptation of I Am Not Your Perfect Mexican Daughter uh, from New York Times bestseller Erica Sanchez is slated to premiere Netflix coming soon as well. So super excited to have her back on the show and we'll get to her interview right after a quick break. All right, y'all, we're so excited to have Linda Yvette Chavez, who's the co-creator, showrunner, director, and executive producer of Netflix hit series Hentified, among many other exciting projects that she has in the works. Thank you so much for being with us today, Linda. Oh my God, so happy to be here, Anna. It's so nice to meet you and uh, come back to Tamarindo. I've been here before, so it's cool to, to be talking to everyone again. Yeah, so I want to get started. So I think... I think there's a general sentiment that although it's definitely not easy, but like it's actually possible to start to see more of our voices and our stories and books, TV, film and other media, thanks to to the work that you and so many are, are doing right now. So I'd love to know, like, like I think a lot of us don't know, like what it actually takes, though, to, to get these stories, you know, on on the screen or in other places or in books. So can you tell us a little bit about how the concept for Hentified was born and specifically like what did it actually take to get this, to take it from an idea just in your head to an actual hit show on Netflix that we're all so, so proud of. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, well, I mean, the, the inception of the idea actually came from Marvin, my co-creator who um, is incredible and had um, explored Boyle Heights uh, around, I think post-college um, and had never really been in the area, even though he's been, you know, he's lived everywhere around LA in different parts, but mainly he grew up in Bakersfield. So when he came across Boyle Heights, he kind of saw a space that felt very much like him that he hadn't felt before, very Mexican and very American. And in his case, very Guatemala, he's a Guatemalan as well. Um, I grew up in LA. My parents, you know, landed in East LA. So I grew up going to Mercadita, going to Boyle Heights and knew that that space was beautiful and, and, amazing but when he came across it I think it, it like sparked in him the thought of like telling a story about that area and about this particular identity the, the nexus of this identity and um, he brought this idea amongst other ideas to Macro uh, Studios run by Charles King the am amazing amazing Charles King um, Macro's uh, the studio behind films like Judas and the Black Messiah, Mudbound, Fences, Blue Bayou uh, we were there actually their first in-house production. But anyhow, he brought that to Macro amongst other ideas as a seed. And they really took to this particular uh, thought that he had and he brought them a deck. And they said, awesome, we'd love to do something with this. We want you to find a co-writer who can help you develop and create this, this digital series. And he was like, awesome, that's what I'm going to do. And he immediately went and um, started asking around. And he was like, hey, I'm looking for someone Chicano, 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 Chicano from the L.A. area who does comedy, but who also does digital, but can also do a dramatic narrative and a series. And like the the narrowing of that came came down to like me. <laughs> so he actually touched base with Francisco Velasquez from Film Independent, who um you know, knew me through Project Involve and knew him through Project Involve, but had reached out to me around that time because of a feature that I had written called Fieras. Um, and we had gone to brunch to discuss the feature that he was interested in. And at the end of that brunch, he said, um, hey, are you interested in doing a digital series? I have this fellow who is looking for a co-writer to develop the series. And, you know, my immediate question, because I had just left the digital world, was, is it paid? Because, you know, that's the only way I would do something digital. And he said, yes, it's paid. And I thought, okay, well, let me give it a shot. And that's when I got introduced to Marvin. And at first I thought Marvin was a white man because his name, when I read it, I read it as Marvin Lemus. And I was like, who is this a white man writing about East LA? I was like, well, let's see what this is about. Um, and, you know, we emailed and I sent him Fieras as well. He read the first, well, I told him to read the first 20 pages. He ended up reading the whole thing in one sitting and falling in love with it. And um, when we met, was like, you know, this is the voice that I've been looking for, for this project. And I'm like, I really want to make something really special. I want to make something that's like about our community. 
I wanted to feel real and authentic and I wanted to be comedic, but also show the realness of the community. And I just wanted to be all of us, uh, like all of our voice inside of this, this series. And um, I just loved everything he was saying. He was just like, I wanted to be cinematic. I wanted to be like, you know, a bunch of short films and all those things were things that I was craving and wanted to do. And so I was like, let's do it. So we sat down in a, in a coffee shop in Boyle Heights, um, Primera Taza, and, and like poured all of our trauma out onto the table and trauma bonded for four months and wrote eight episodes that were everything that we wanted to see in a show about our community. And that was the digital series that then led to America Ferrera coming on board, to a trailer that went viral, to studios asking, okay, this is cool, but what's the TV pitch? Marvin calling me up and saying, hey, oh, do you want to do a TV pitch? <laughs> and I said, yes, I do. Let's do it. And five months later, after we premiered at Sundance and had developed this, you know, arduously worked on this pitch um, and dropped the series, you know, did a premiere at, at Sundance, we went out and pitched it to 10 networks and seven um, submitted offers and it was a bidding war and, and we ended up at Netflix, which we didn't realize it was such a big deal to get so many offers, but there we were, you know, uh, these two brown kids from from L.A. and Bakersfield and um, creating our first show. And now we're coming up on season two, which is dropping in just a few weeks on November 10th. So it's been six years. It's going to be it's been six years of us working together from from that first seed, that first nugget of creation. Right. That's crazy. Like you forget what a long journey getting a show on screen can be like, that's crazy. Six years, but it sounds like, or not sounds like, but like magic happened, you know, six years ago at Primera Taza. I know that coffee shop. I wish I had known. So now next time I go, I'll be like, oh, this was where, <laughs> this is where Hentified <laughs> was, was born. Sadly, it's no longer there. It's no longer, Primera Taza is actually no longer there. The crazy part about us writing in Boyle Heights during all those years is that we got to really see the the same thing that we were writing about happening on the right. same street that we were writing it. So that particular coffee shop actually ended up, um, you know, Chewy, who ran that place, ended up getting sadly evicted. I think that's common knowledge. And and there's different different spaces on that street that changed within the time. Like some of the things that we were writing that we had fabricated in the moment, like months later, we started to see happening in the very same street. So it was a very wild experience and also just so telling and so realistic to what we were to what we were the story we were telling right that is so powerful well just like another reason why like the work that you do is so important and the stories that you're telling are so important because this is literally what's happening in our communities no like you literally saw it as you were writing that's that's crazy Hi. Um, so I wanted to share, actually, so I'm an immigrant. And when I was little, my, one of my first dreams, well, my very first dream was to be a writer. But I think because I'm an immigrant, I sort of let that go because I didn't seem like that could be a feasible career for me. And, and I know that you've also been, you know, um, very ambitious growing up. And so I'm just curious, like, if you had to, like, what, like, if you had to break out of that, like, oh, I need to, you know, have like a a stable, like financially stable career? Like how did you, how was that experience like for you? Yeah. I mean, listen, it's so funny because I tell a story and it's sometimes the opposite of what people have experienced and honestly the opposite of what Anna and the series experienced. Um, but I grew up writing a lot of poetry and short stories. And I remember my parents who are immigrants from Mexico, um, telling me, Mija, you're a writer, you're a writer. And I, I always, I always laugh because I used to be like, what como que writer? What else estamos como estamos? Like, I'm going to go be a lawyer. I was like this little kid that was like, knew too much for her own good. I was like, we are broke. I am trying not to be broke. So I am not going to be a writer. I'm going to go be a lawyer. And so I like worked really hard, even though I loved, I love creativity. I love the arts. I wrote poetry and short stories like every day. Like I was nose deep in books, like at the library every day. I freaking loved reading. Um, but I was, I always had that like child of immigrant American dream of like getting my family out of poverty and out of, you know, that low income struggle, that low income hustle that we all were on constantly. Like I didn't want to feel like the kid who didn't have the Nikes like every fucking year, you know, oh, I'm sorry, cuss. I hope that's okay. Um, every year, like I wanted to do more. I wanted to do better, quote unquote better, right? From what I knew at that time. And then when I went to college the first year, 
Um, I went to Stanford, which I know you went to Stanford too, which is awesome. Go, go trees. What was it again? Go Cardinal. Go Cardinal. <laughs> it's been a long time since I got back. We don't have a mascot. So I think, yeah, go Cardinal. No, we don't. Go <laughs> Cardinal. Tree. It's so funny because I just, I just watched Insecure the other night and they went, their first episode of season five, they go to the campus and I heard uh, one of the characters say, oh, look, the Marguerite. And I was like, oh my God, I have not heard that in so long. Um, but anyway, so I went to Stanford and of course, as you know, predominantly white institution um, and also predominantly predominantly high class to me I right. don't know the exact numbers but from what I experienced I went into a space where I really did not fit in where I didn't feel like it belonged I, I related more to the workers the service workers at the institution than I did to the students and the first day that we landed we landed it sounds like we're like fucking pilgrims well the first day that we <laughs> arrived at Stanford <laughs> my family being a ranchero that he is we got there at the butt crack of dawn we got there at like five in the morning so of course we saw all the service workers coming in and I saw that they all looked like us they looked like our family my family and then when we went to go check in like hours later because we were there way too early um we went to go check in and I realized like oh wow the students don't look like me they don't look like my family we look like the people who are working this plantation, which is what people call Stanford a lot of times. Is this place where, like, you know, the people come, people of color come in from outside and come in to work, and we we just like I, I I remember going up the elevator and I didn't have any real radicalized consciousness at that time, but I just remember thinking, oh, this is weird. This needs to change. Something's not right here. It feels off. Um, I was like eighteen, but I just didn't. I just something didn't feel right. Um, and I think my mom may have mentioned it too. We were just all a little bit struck by it, by how drastically different it was. So that first year was very hard for me. I was very depressed that first year because I didn't feel like it belonged. I was struggling in my classes. I didn't have good, I had decent grades, but not the grades I had had in high school, which were like top of the class, yeah, student, right? I feel you. <laughs> um, and the, yeah, and then at the end of the first year, I um, found, I saw the courses for sophomore college, which you're familiar with. This is a short two-week course right before your sophomore year that you can take. It's like very overachiever life. And I was out here like, let me be an overachiever, even though I'm struggling so hard. Um, and I saw a course being taught by Harry Elam, who at the time was one of the only black professors at Stanford, um, called Social Protest Theater. And I read the description and I remember thinking, oh my God, like there were just, I, again, I didn't have, I wasn't radicalized yet. I wasn't politicized yet. I was... But there was something in that description, reading all these names of people of color, talking about art and activism. There was just something about it that was like, draw, drew me to it. So I signed up and I got in. Oh, yeah. It was the first time that I had seen like my community on the page. Like the first time I read something that felt like home and I didn't know that you could write about home. I didn't know that you could write about your people because everything I had read up to that point was so Eurocentric. And um, and anytime we were introduced to something that wasn't, it was always like, you know, through the white lens given to us in ways that didn't, it just wasn't the same. And as soon as I found out that Cherie was actually an adjunct professor, professor at Stanford, I was like, yo, what are her classes? I'm taking them. And I ended up, my major was comparative studies in race and ethnicity with a focus in literature and the arts and communities of color. But I always joke that I majored in Cherie because I took a bunch of her classes the entire um, time I was there. And a lot of us who took her classes would joke about that. Like, oh, I majored in Cherie because I feel like she created the safe space for so many students of color in marginalized communities. Like, listen, and I know that she's not perfect and none of us are, but I think that a ton of us found a place where we were able to be ourselves and share our experiences and write about ourselves. And it was just such catharsis. And it was a place where art was about healing, about healing yourself and healing your community. And it just meant the world to me. And it, and it was a, a safe bubble that was created for me. And I met so many incredible people who are now out there changing the world with their art and with their work. Um, and that really is, then that's what led me to like, oh, okay, I guess I'm going to be a broke artist. I'm going to be a broke writer. Maybe my mommy and puppy were right. I'm going to be a broke writer. Um, and that's the journey I went on. Of course, I'm not broke now. I'm doing well. But um, at the time, I definitely went into the world wanting to be, like, wanting to do activism through my art and wanting to focus my work there. And it was a struggle for many, many years to, to get people to understand that it wasn't until... You know, six years ago when Hintabad came into my life that I finally, there was a door that opened. And I think because there was a big cultural cultural shift, you know, um, it was around the time when, you know, it was during the Trump years. There was a lot of people who were open and, and able to, to see the change that needed to happen in order to see stories like these come through.
Yeah. Wow. Um, well, first, what a gift to learn from Cherie, like in person. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love her. So funny. Just recently. Do you know Melina Bobadilla? She plays Melina in the series this season. Yeah. 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 She um, she told me she went to an event recently and I was literally at dinner. Oh, last week at dinner in New York with some friends telling them this exact story and mentioning Cherie. And I was like, gosh, I haven't seen her in so long. Then I texted Melina because I asked her for some like uh, skin routine question or something because she's a big skin routine queen and she's like oh my god girl you know who I just saw Shuri Moraga and I was like what and she was like she said to tell you how proud she is of you and I was like oh my god it was so weird because I was literally two minutes before talking about how I hadn't seen her and I needed to you know reach out to her and it was really sweet but yeah no she really saw me at a very young age and saw the writer that I was and the talent and the potential that I had and just I, I like remember journal entries where there was moments where she told me things about my talent that just I needed to hear, you know, because I didn't know how to believe in myself at that point, even though I had an incredibly supportive parents. Like there's just so many layers of things that you have to unpack and remove in order to stand in your confidence and stand in your power. And she was a, a force in my life early on that helped me see the power of my words. Yeah, I mean, I think that that points to the importance of, of mentors and us helping, lifting each other up and also how beautiful, like what a full circle experience for you to be learning from from Sherry Moraga and then for her to be, you know, like sending you a message of like just how proud she is of like what you have done. I um, That's so powerful. I recently, we, we got to interview Ana Castillo recently and I remember when I was a little girl, that's one of the first books that I read that also I was, saw different, you know, I read a book from someone that had a similar journey as me, you know, and so to to get to interview her now as an adult was was oh, very cool awesome. for me. Este, you also, yeah. Um, so you also talked about how, you know, through writing, you started to see it as a form of healing. And so I wanted to shift a little bit towards healing. I know in a recent post you shared, I'm learning in an Instagram post, I'm learning to fall in love with me because in the end, aren't we ultimately the greatest loves of our own lives? And and we love that for so many reasons, but I'd love for you to share a little bit of like what that journey has been like for you and, and maybe what practices have truly helped you learn how to love yourself better or fall in love with yeah, yourself. Yeah, I mean, like falling in love with yourself is like a, it's, a, it's actually even like a relationship with another person, right? You can fall in and out of love with that person and like it takes work to fall back in love. And I think that that particular post was me being like, oh shit, I've fallen out of love with myself and how do I get back into that space? So that, that, that journey is not an A to B journey. It's not like A to Z, right? It's not a straight line. It's it's a very, it's like A, and then you go real wild left to B, and then you're wild right to C, and then down, and then not back up to A. And like, so I think for me, it's been like, oh gosh, so many years since, like, since I was maybe in college, to be honest. Yeah, since then, of like um, trying to find a healing modalities that would help me with a lot of the traumas that I've experienced in life. I, I always talk about this. I think most of us in, in, in communities of color and marginalized communities have come with a lot of trauma on our own because of institutionalized systems that are oppressive that we have to contend against constantly, but also generational trauma that we're living with every day with our families. And often we're the ones not only healing ourselves, we're healing our families and being examples to our families and modeling behavior. And I think very early on, um, I was one of those people in, in my family and community who was seeking out healing. And, you know, very early on, I was, I, I've been in therapy for now almost 13 years. Um, I've had this therapist for a long time. I started out like, you know, reading, I will say that was some of the earliest works that I read, which is really wild because it's, I know it's a very new agey enlightenment stuff, but now it's very common that people have read these things. But Back then, I read people like Eckhart Tolle and like Louise Hay and like these white folks who came into my life who had the keys to like this kind of emotional and, and mental freedom that like, God bless them, they had the privilege to have access to and, and wrote books about so that like someone brought it to my attention and I started reading them. And I'll never forget very early on, I, I can talk about this in college, I, I suffered um a trauma and that led to very severe panic attacks daily, 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 um, agoraphobia, depression, deep depression, um, anxiety disorders, phobias. I was very trapped in my own mind and body for many years and tried to find ways to find healing. And it, it wasn't until like, you know, I reached a point, I remember being at a friend's birthday party or not birthday wedding. 
a friend's wedding and just thinking like, oh, I wish I wasn't here. I don't want to live. And it was like a very intense moment for me because mm-hmm. I was like, that's that's real. Like this has been very hard for me. And so I that led me to therapy. The first therapist wasn't the one. The second one wasn't either. And the third one, she was the one. And, um, you know, went down that path. And then I since then have done so many things from like EFT tapping to EMDR to, to freaking, you know, um, Reiki to sound baths to like everything everyone's doing nowadays. Um, I've been through so many of those things and they've all played a part in my healing and then journaling and creating a a very safe network of people, like a board of directors of people in my life who I go to when things are difficult. I have all my tools in a tool bag. So, you know, I was just talking to my best friend recently about like these these things are not, it's about progress and not perfection. And like, it's actually in understanding that perfection is not feasible that I've found freedom and found that like, if I'm going through a very severe low, it's it's not the end, it's, it won't be the end of the world and then I will find my way back out to the other side. Um, and usually when I get to that place, I, I get in touch with my body and my mind and I ask myself, like, what are the things that have brought me here? Why am I here? What am I not feeding myself? How am I not, not nourishing myself? Whether that's actual food and water or is it like the things that bring me joy? And like, have I danced today? Have I danced in the last month? Like, am I working so hard and so intensely that I'm no longer human and now I'm just a robot and that's why I'm feeling depressed like what are I've learned over time through therapy through all these therapies and all these all of this work um all of these touchstones in my life to just reconnect with myself and, and find the things that are causing the difficulties and the challenges and then pulling from my tool back and saying okay what do I need? I mean, this is very recently went through a phase of that where I had to like sit back and say, okay, Linda, something is off. Your body is sending you all these signals, like all these alarms are going off in your body. That's the other thing I learned not to see my body and my depression as my enemy, but but instead as like my my uh, body's signs of uh, warning signs is letting me know, like trying to communicate to me like, hey, something's off. How do we work together to heal this, to 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 change this? And like when those things happen, my immediate tools are like, have I gone right. to therapy? Am I seeing my coach? Have I seen my family enough? Have I told people how, how I'm feeling? Have I shared that I'm having a hard time? Mm. I need help? Sometimes that alone will make a, a huge difference. Um, am I dancing? Am I going out? Like all the things that bring you joy, and that might be a different list for different people, but being able to hone in on those tools so that you can pull them out mm-hmm. every time you hit a low I think is a beautiful thing. And also accepting that there will be lows. Like it's going to be low and we're like the ocean. Right. You know, we come in waves and that's okay. We're nature. And um, like nature, we need to be given the space to heal and to grow in those ways. And, and you know, we don't yell at nature for having thunderstorms. <laughs> we just say, okay, there's a thunderstorm. Let's sit through mm-hmm. it. Let's heal. Like let's feel it. Let's process it. Right. Um, but often we, we are so hard on ourselves, you know, as humans, because we have this like mind of here mm-hmm. that likes to play games with us, you know, likes to like torture us and shame us. And um, it's healing those things within our minds and within our bodies that, you know, brings to, brings mm-hmm. us to some freedom. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love so much of what you said. I was like taking mental notes and I was like, I wish I was taking notes because it's sparking <laughs> you got a whole so many recording. Thoughts. You got a whole recording. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> no, but um, something you said about how um, like not seeing your body and your mind as like your enemy and really like it's more, it's literally just like you said, giving you a signal. It's basically telling you, hey, like I need to be tended to. And that doesn't mean you need to like shame or feel terrible that you're feeling something it's literally just like a little signal for you to explore and also like a lot of times we can't fix things right away like there there has sometimes like i think capitalism makes us feel like we constantly need to be como moving forward producing or consuming and if you're not doing any of those things like something is wrong and like our our bodies like just telling us like you know this is actually time for you to pay attention and that doesn't mean that this needs to be fixed right now and i think like for me that's been really hard it's like oh i need to fix this like something's wrong like it needs to be fixed and sometimes like just being gentle and like tending to it um is all yeah. that we can do yes i also love what you shared about like just having like basically we're developing tools and that doesn't mean we're not going to experience pain or hard moments but now it just, but like the more that we keep doing this work and developing these tools, the, 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 the better that we can sort of like get 
through it and get back to, to love. And I love that. Yeah. Like falling in love with it. It is como it's, it's like waves and like picos and like it's, and also being tender with ourselves and, and compassionate with ourselves when we're not that we're, if we're not like totally in love with us at any one moment yeah, in time. 100%. I mean, listen, like, you know, you cut yourself, you don't go like, Hey, heal now. It's like, that cuts like, I'm, I'm sorry, girl. I'm gonna heal when I want to heal. Like it's going to take time for that cut to come together and to, to what's the word uh just to um what's the word for when you when the the wound comes together i'm forgetting right now but to scab uh, it's a gross word but to scab you know like it takes time and like and then you're like waiting for it and waiting for it and we are in a culture of impatience right now um which i think goes against our nature i think our nature is actually to be to be like nature to be slow and to go through seasons Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people are waking up to that and and I hope more and more people do because I, I do think part of, you know, the struggle is also working against the system and a culture and other folks who expect that same speed, who are living and trapped in that same culture of, of speed and saying, hurry up and get get it done. Hurry, what, what do you mean you need a break? What do you mean you need to rest? Can't you just do this thing for me? Oh, you, what do you just take one, two nights of sleepless nights and get this done for me without any real you know, sense of the consequences of what that that has for people and the toll that it takes on people. And, um, you know, we're seeing that all over the place with people striking and leaving leaving labor jobs because we're waking up to our true selves, our true nature as human beings. And the more we honor that, the more I think we'll shift this culture to something that is actually a beautiful and positive space where we can all like love ourselves and each other, you know, and be able to be like in, in community and in, and in a healing community where we put each other first above the work or the materialism, you know? Yes, yes, yes. We usually have a matraca, but I don't have one (laughs) here with me and I would, I would be spinning around my matraca right now. Um, but spe- also speaking of matracas, uh, so we are at the part of our show where we like to ask our guests um, rapid fire questions, which we call matraca, basura, and calma. Um, so what would you love to give a matraca to? So a matraca would be something that you are just loving, you want to give Gosh, a okay. shout out to. I don't know. That I, well, I haven't fully seen the whole thing yet, but I saw a trailer this morning for Aida Rodriguez's um, HBO Max comedy special. And I'm forgetting the exact name of the special, special but check her out. Um, Aida Rodriguez, I don't know her well. I know her through Instagram. Um, I follow her on Instagram. But she's this incredible Afro-Latina comedian who... Um, the trailer was just really fun. And I was like, oh, I'm excited for this. And I think everyone should go out and support um, her work and support that comedy special because it's not often that we have um, not only women in comedy out here with specials, but women of color and Afro-Latinas in having their own comedy specials. I think that's a big thing. So I hope that everyone goes out and supports it. Um, I think it comes out soon. Um, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, yeah. We all get to support that. I recently discovered her as well, and I'm really oh, excited. Great. I think it comes out. I think it might be November 2nd. So y'all take oh, a look okay, at that. That's we'll probably why I saw our, the trailer out. Because <laughs> I was like, oh, what's this? Um, yeah, it, it looks yeah. good. The trailer looks really good. I'm excited to see it. It does. So we'll put that in our show notes for everyone. Um, mm. All right. What would you like to put in la basura? Oh, in la basura. I try not to put nothing in the basura because <laughs> I try to be this compassionate, loving person. Um, but what is trash? What is trash, trash, trash? Uh, <laughs> gosh, you know, I think... I'm gonna skip that one because I don't know. I mean, I, I don't, I don't have one. I, I don't. Mean- well, I feel like we called out some things that could go in the trash earlier in our in our discussion. Did we? <laughs> what did we call out? What did we give me one? Um, I think like we talked about like the culture that doesn't allow for for rest and stay yeah, and healing. Let's <laughs> let's put in the trash um, hustle culture. Hustle yeah. culture. That was a hard thing to say. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, perfect. E how about calma? What is giving you calma right now? There's this I don't know it's random, but it is. There's this um playlist that I found on on uh, my Alexa randomly. It's called Morning Commute. And every morning when I get up, I put it on and it just has these songs that like make me feel so at ease and I make a cup of tea and it just reminds me to be like present and in the moment and it gives you that like nice like writer vibe you know where it's like just chill and you're feeling the cozy feelings and you're just reminded of being human um so it just it gives me a lot of peace in the morning to put that playlist on and just to feel like a human mm. being in the world oh that's yeah. beautiful that's a beautiful ritual uh yeah. what is it called again 
It's just called morning commute. I literally just said morning Alexa, commute. play a morning playlist, and they put they were. It was like morning commute, and and ever since then I just request the same playlist because it's made me. Oh look, it started playing it. <laughs> Alexa, <laughs> stop. <laughs> That's so around. She heard me. She was like, "What do you need, girl?" Um, yeah, it just brings me a lot of peace. <laughs> That's beautiful. All right. So um, thank you for for playing our little rapid fire game. All right. So I'd love to end with just you sharing a little bit about, you know, what's coming up next for Linda. What what are you working on or where do you want to go from here? And then also where can people find you and your work? Just remind remind people also when Hentified is coming out. Todo eso. Um, yes, I, well, I have several projects with it. Obviously the, the one that you're going to see the soonest is Hanthified season two, dropping on November 10th on Netflix, put it in your queue, tell your friends and family about it, tweet about it, post about it. Um, the way our shows get lifted up is thanks to you all. So if you can, uh, come back around and watch, we think you're going to be really happy with this season. I'm really proud of it. It's really beautiful. It's a journey that I think I've seen on television and I really, can't wait for you all to see it and to to find all the ways that we hope you connect with it because it kind of came from our hearts and souls. Um, I would say that for now. That's the big one. Beautiful. Um, and then where can people? Where else can people find you? Anything else that you wanna you wanna share before we before we go? Yeah, please follow me on Instagram. I'm at Linda Yvette Chavez and on Twitter at Linda Yvette. And yeah, keep, keep going, keep creating your art, keep doing you, whatever it is, and um, know that you are loved and that your work is needed out in the world. Yes. And let's keep supporting and uplifting each other. And what's very cool is this episode will be dropping the day of the new season. So that's good. That'll be exciting. Perfect. (laughs) Yes. Yes, Go, go watch it right now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Well, Linda, this has been such a pleasure. I'm so happy to actually get to meet you virtually. I've, you know, been following your work and yeah, this is a a blessing. Thank you so much. Oh, same, Anna. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to be here and I hope it's helped folks. Yeah. All right, y'all. Bye. Oh, so great to hear from Linda and all the great projects that she's got. Awesome conversation. I can't wait to watch all of those shows. So everybody get ready for Hentified. So Ana Sheila, time for our basuras, matracas, calmas, y toda la cosa. So Ana Sheila, uh, what is your basura? So what I'm putting in the basura is at what I want more of. It's more like I want more of this and there's not enough of this. More spaces for intergenerational learning and wisdom and appreciation. Basically like people of different generations, like hanging out and learning from each other. And I feel like it used to happen more when families were closer, maybe, but I, I, that's what I wish there was more of. And I want to put in the basura, I guess, I, I feel like there aren't enough spaces to keep learning from other generations. And I feel like we at times underappreciate the wisdom of older generations. And I feel like I've seen that, how we've underappreciated older folks with like people not caring about them when it comes to COVID a little bit. So that's what I want to put in the basura. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yes, let's bring that back. <laughs> let's bring more more of those spaces back. How about you? All right. So what I want to put in la basura, let's see. I will have to just come up with something because I didn't think of something today. Let's see. What can I put in la basura? Maybe what I can put in la basura this time is our dependence on oil. (laughs) I just watched the show Explained on Netflix, another good show. Also, Netflix, give us some money. We talk about you all the time. So uh, the show Explained, and I watched the episode on oil, and we've known how much our dependency on oil is a problem for the planet since way back in the 70s, and we continue to have this. And watching this episode, which is just a bite-sized episode, I think it's 30 minutes, and it really is a great explainer, I really do think that we, this is probably a big downer, but I think the the realities of our planet are um, scarier than any horror picture, any horror film that exists. I mean, when we really think about it, we're over here in our very privileged places. We have a warm place to sleep. We have hot running water. We can get up on our cars. We can have a self-care day. When we don't really think about the world and the global impact of our dependency on oil and how we're destroying our planet and the and corporate greed and the fact that nations that actually have the resources have been exploited. This is just, 
capitalism, rampant capitalism, and also um, in colonialization. Colonialization. God damn it, I can't speak. Colonialization. I can't. Somebody <laughs> correct that. Say it for me because I can't. <laughs> colonialization. It's colonialization. hard. Colonialization. with your <laughs> bilingue ESL voices here. We we have a huge problem. I mean, the world is is. It's just a reminder how horrible the world truly is and how we our time is running out and and how we like we need to sometimes face reality on how dire the planet is the conditions of the planet are really the conditions in which the planet really is. Bueno, basura to that. Basura to that. I 100% co-sign that. That is something that's very close to my heart and it is really like devastating to see not enough policymakers and politicians doing more about it right now before it, it becomes an, an, an escapable issue. I mean, it's already pretty far, far gone. Right. And on that note, what I will also, who I will also add to the basura is um, president of Brazil, Jair um, Bolsonaro. Oh, he's been in the basura before on this I know. show. I put him he in before. I'm putting, he there. <laughs> I'm putting, I put him in there before I'm putting him there again because of what he's done to the Amazon. And with that, I'm also, I'll also jump into to my matraca because it's related to uh, Bolsonaro. So um, he actually, um, there are actually criminal charges against him right now because of how he's handled COVID. Um, so he's being held accountable for his terrible mishandling of COVID. After the US, most of the, the, the largest number of deaths had come from Brazil and, and largely in part to his complete disregard for people's lives and how he's handled COVID. So I was very happy to see that he's being held accountable or hopefully he will be. So we'll, we'll see what happens there. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Brenda? What do you want to put in? And what do you want to give a matraca to? I think just keeping up with this weekly schedule, because people, it is hard. So <laughs> I want to tell all of you, if you're listening to us, please uh, write us a review, send us a contribution. We work really hard to get these episodes out for you every single week, and it is a struggle. So, <laughs> so if, if this adds value to your life, if you want to just send us five bucks, if you want to write us a review, if you want to share this episode with a friend, those all those things are incredibly valuable to us because it is very hard work to get this going every single week. So I guess Patraka to our listeners that have done these things because we appreciate it so much. What about your calma, yes. Sheila? We need a calma after this My very calma. stressful set of basura y matracas. What's, what's been keeping me grounded? Um, this isn't specifically keeping me grounded, but um, it's more of just like a reflection. Uh, I've been getting to the gym in the morning. I didn't today because I'm recovering, but otherwise I've been getting to the gym early and it's just a reminder because before I used to have all these excuses, I used to say like, oh, well, I didn't have my coffee or I didn't have my breakfast. Oh, I didn't meditate. So I can't go work out. And I needed to have all these things happen before I would go work out or I wouldn't go. And then it, it would end up just not happening at all. Right. And so now I'm just like, OK, whatever happens, if you had your coffee, great. If you didn't just go. And just that that reflection of like, it doesn't need to be perfect and you don't have to be perfect when you go to the, the gym or for whatever it is, just go for it. And it's better to just do it than not do it at all because you're trying to be perfect or you need it to have X, check off all these things. A lot of times it's just fear. So just like a little encouragement to just go for it and not needing to be perfect to to, to do something, which is something we also embrace here here on the show. So that's just yeah. a little reflection I want to leave y'all with. <laughs> yes. Speaking of which, if you are listening to the show, we just started our five-week challenge here in Los Angeles in the Lincoln Heights area, Lincoln Heights slash Highland Park area. We're meeting uh, on Figueroa. All the details are on our website, but we're doing this five-week fitness challenge. We're meeting at 7 a.m., so you don't even have time to think about your list of stuff that you need to get done because you just <laughs> got to get there. It's outside, so it is bring a jacket. And even though we've already started, the, it's such a good deal. These are 10 workouts, 10 workouts for $75. That is nothing compared to other gyms. And so I really want to encourage you to join us. We have a great group of, of women right now. Doesn't mean that men aren't allowed. Men are allowed, but right now it's just a, a fabulous group of women. You can sign up on our website and join us and meet us. It's a great 
low, well, I guess it would be high impact. We're going to, it's a high intensity interval training so that you can get those calories done and burned in the morning. Uh, it's with me, your instructor, Brenda. And again, it's only 75 bucks. So please join us. And I hope to see you there at 7 a.m. Mondays and Wednesdays for five weeks, except for Thanksgiving. And that's what I, that's what we have for you all today. So I can't wait to read your reviews. And we put it on our, on our Instagram, all the steps and instructions on how to write us a review. So it's super, super easy. And we appreciate all of you that have already shown us so much love. Muchas gracias. Yes. I'm so sad I'm going to miss it, Brenda. And by the way, if y'all didn't know, she is a certified personal trainer. So you're not just getting a class from, from any old person. <laughs> yeah. Somebody said it's official. Somebody gave me an official. It costs a yeah. lot of money, but someone said, hey, I think you're certified. <laughs> you're official. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to Tamarindo. We will listen to you on the next time and also one more one more plug here since i told you it's really hard to come up with these weekly episodes we love your ideas so if you have ideas for games that we could play questions that we could ask our our guests maybe there could be some more rapid fire questions that we could add to our our set of three whatever ideas you have get in touch with us at contact at tamarindopodcast.com yes and don't forget to check out hintified season two out november 10th All right. Hasta luego. Pon tu suéter. Bye, y'all. Tamarindo Podcast is part of Sonoro Media. It is hosted by Brenda Gonzalez and Anashela Victorino. Producer Jeff provides original music. Follow us on Instagram at Tamarindo Podcast and on Twitter at Tamarindo Cast. Support our show by sharing this episode with a friend, writing us a review on Apple Podcasts, or contributing financially to the show. All contributions, big or small, help us keep bringing you great conversations and free or low-cost events. To get in touch with us or to support us, please go to tamarindopodcast.com. Cuando mi arrendador dijo que el alquiler podría ser más barato si fuéramos amigos con beneficios. Había oído hablar de acoso sexual en el lugar de trabajo, pero en mi casa. Eso es discriminación en la vivienda basada en el sexo. La gente de bienes raíces dijo que estaríamos más cómodos viviendo en un vecindario diferente con gente como nosotros. Por suerte conocíamos nuestros derechos. Es ilegal asustar a los posibles propietarios para que se alejen de ciertos vecindarios en función de raza o nacionalidad. Si usted cree que sufrió discriminación o tiene preguntas sobre sus derechos, comuníquese con Fair Housing Foundation, Fundación de Vivienda Justa, al 800-446-3247 o también en línea en fhfca.org. La vivienda justa es su derecho. Este es un anuncio de servicio público de Fair Housing Foundation y respaldado por el Departamento de Vivienda y Desarrollo Urbano HUD bajo la subvención de FIPPI, FPEI 220099.